Hi, my name is Eric, and you're listening to a public podcast. If you want more information about anything going on here at Public Church, visit our website, publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. So, yeah, I'm Colin Cook. I'm going to share a little bit about families. We were talking about this and um, deciding what to what what to, would be an appropriate thing to speak about. And we were like, oh, you know what? Let's talk about families. Let's talk about what the Bible says about families. Well, I don't know if you guys have read the Bible, but it's really long. And uh, and so going through that and trying to figure out, like, picking everything about families out of there was, like, hard. I was like, all right, how do I narrow this down? But I think I found it. And so I, I'm, I'm really excited about what we get to study today. If you want to, if you brought a Bible, you can turn to Deuteronomy. We'll be in chapter 6. But uh, while you're turning there, I do want to uh, uh, tell you a couple stories. Um, so first of all, the thing about families that I've really gotten to, to learn over the, my years of life is that families are all dysfunctional, right? All right, so your family, you are dysfunctional. You're a dysfunctional human being. Um, you mess things up. You make things weird. You're quirky, right? All of us could get up here and share our quirks and be strange together, and, uh, and, you, and you'll, you'll figure this out about me as we get to know each other. I, I'm probably the weirdest person you've ever met, and that's okay. Uh, my wife made me that way. Um, the only... <laughs> The only thing that Todd and I have in common, really, as far as like, uh, well, we have some other things in common, but one thing that really is a commonality for us, we both married up. Cody's right. We're ugly humans who married beautiful wives, and that is a, a, a cool thing. That just means we're maybe good deceivers. Um, so my family is no exception. Uh, it's dysfunctional as well. We have weird things. We have uh, strange quirks and all this stuff. Um, and I'm going to tell you uh, one story about one of my sons, Sully, the, the, the middle child, Spider-Man. Uh, we were, went out to eat at uh, um, Imperial Garden uh, a few weeks ago. So we were over there, and we are eating, and Sully said, hey, I, Dad, I got to pee. And I was like, all right, cool, let's go. So, uh, so we go, and it's their, their single restroom, so the men was taken. I was like, it's all right, we can go to the women's. You know, that's, that's not a big deal because it's a single, so nobody's in there, all that stuff. Don't, don't judge. Um, and so we go in there, and, and everything is as normal as can be, right? He pees. I go over. I help him get his pants up and all that stuff. I go over, and I turn the water on. And I'm getting things together so that he can wash his hands. I turn and look back. No lie. He has his head down into the toilet and has the seat pulled over his head like a necklace. He is wearing a toilet seat necklace. A public restroom toilet seat necklace. All I could do is like, I said, why? Why would you do this? What on earth is appealing about this? Like, how, that doesn't even feel good. Like, why would you do that? And I had all these thoughts, like, what do you do with that? You know, how do you even handle this? And so I, I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, I, I really wanted to, like, burn his clothes and rub him in rubbing alcohol and, you know, all this stuff. And I, I didn't know what to do. I was like, he needs a shower. So we washed his hands and we went out and ate. <laughs> I mean, there, there's, there's nothing else to do at that point other than just kind of go on with things. Because your life, it's just, it's, it's just messy, right? You have kids, it's messy. Things happen. They do weird stuff. They eat things they shouldn't. You have to call, you know, doctors and say, is my kid going to die? You know, what's going on here? Uh, you're going to go through this stuff. You went through it with your parents, right? Because you were the weird one. <laughs> Ask your siblings. They'll say it's true. But that's the thing, family, it, it, is, it is weird, it's crazy, it's strange, there's all th- kinds of things that you're not prepared for, but God created the family. In fact, before he even created the church, that's the first thing he made, the first institution ever, was God creating families. He cares about families. He's the one that invented it, and they are made to honor him. 
And so our goal is to find out how to be a family that honors God. How do we do that as parents, as children, as brothers, as sisters? How do we do this? How do we have a family that honors God? So we're going to look at two things, two passages. First one we're going to look at is going to be in the Old Testament. It's in Deuteronomy. The second one we're going to look at is going to be the New Testament in Ephesians. Um, and and I, I said this in the, the first gathering. I want to make sure I say it again. So Old Testament is just everything that God revealed about himself before he sent Jesus, right? So everything that God was saying, here's who I am to the people that were on earth before Jesus came, and the New Testament is everything he's revealed about himself since sending Jesus. And so I want us to get both of these perspectives because it says the same thing, and it's really neat. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'm going to start reading in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Okay, so the first thing that we get to see here is uh, God calling Israel. So this is, uh, in fact, right before this, this is Moses who writes this, and, and he is, he's talking about this and says that this is the greatest commandment. So this is right before the people of Israel are getting to go to like the, the promised land. The big, this is a big deal. They had been working for this for 40 years. They had to go out in the wilderness because they were dysfunctional like all of us. And so they had to go and they suffered for a long time. And they're about to go and get this amazing blessing from God. And Moses is reminding them of what's important. Right before they go in, he's like, all right, here's the last thing. I got to tell you guys this stuff, this is important. And so he goes through and he he talks about all the commandments, but he says the most important commandment of all is this, that you love God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your might. You guys might recognize that because Jesus says the same thing in the New Testament because there's uh, some, some people that came and they were trying to stump Jesus because they didn't believe he was really the Christ. They didn't believe that he was the God's son. And so they were like, well, we're going to trick Jesus because we're going to ask him what the most important commandment is. And he's not going to be able to give us one because there's 10 super important ones. And then Jesus says, no, 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 the most important commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That word love is a Hebrew, the, the Hebrew word means to commit yourself fully to something, to just totally devote yourself to something. So it's devoting yourself to God. And he says, you do this with all your heart. That's all of what you, how you feel, how you think, your, the way you make decisions. It's the center of your being, right? It's the process that you go through when you're making any kind of choice. It's how you feel about all kinds of stuff. He says, love with all your soul. That word uh, it, it can mean, it's kind of like uh, you as your, your thinking self, your psyche, right? He's saying, look, I want you to love me with everything about you, your passions, your emotions, your personality, everything about you, I want you to devote to me. And he says, love me with all your might. And what that means is as forcefully as you possibly can, devote yourself to loving God. This is the most important thing for anybody who's a Jesus follower to understand is we have got to live our lives devoted to loving God with everything we are. And so this is the, the very first thing that we get here. This is a lot of love, right? This is all kinds of instances. And, and what he's saying is if we get this one right, we'll be looking very much like what God called us to, Right? Because if you're loving God with all your soul, all your heart, and all your might, it's going to be a lot easier to do things like be honest with other people, with loving people that aren't very friendly, with being, uh, uh, living in a right way, versus if you don't love God, those other things are a lot harder to do, aren't they? So this is what we get to see. This is the most important. Then he says, in these words that I command you, you shall, uh, shall be on your heart. Now, this isn't like our phrase of, oh, you were on my heart today, right? Because that, that just means like, I was thinking about you. I, I had a thought and you were in it. And they were, you know. This is saying, I want you to put the words of God in everything about you, right? The center of your being should be uh, wrapped up in who God has revealed himself to be. It should be wrapped up in everything. We should be constantly dwelling on what God has revealed about himself in his word. If God's word is living, active, without error, and sufficient, 
then it must guide our every action. So that's the first part, right? So this kind of gives us the foundation that first he deals with us. We as adult human beings have to say we're going to commit ourselves to, to be fully in love with God, with all our heart, all our soul, and with all our might. But from there, we have a responsibility inside of a family, okay? Especially as parents. So we're going to move on and read a little bit more. It says in verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Okay, this is, this is really neat. So that word teaching diligently is actually, it's, it's a phrase that they used a lot inside of uh, uh, the Hebrew language. What the words literally mean is sharpening or honing a, a, a knife or a sword or something like that, okay? If anybody in here has ever tried to sharpen a knife, A, I'm not good at it. Every time I've tried to do this, it just doesn't work. And so this is a poor example for me, but I like the picture of it. So we're gonna, we're gonna look at it. If, you, if you're honing a knife, do you just scrape it once and walk away and say, sharpen my knife, we're good. No, you do not. It's a repeated motion, right? Over and over and over again. You scrape and you scrape and you turn around and scrape and scrape. And you do this so that it can get sharp, right? So it's a repeated motion of doing this. And then the other thing is, once you've sharpened or honed your knife, does it stay sharp forever? Not if you use it, right? It will get dull again. And so you're going to have to do the same thing again. The picture here is that's how we train our children to love God. It is a repeated process that you go over and over and over again. And then when you walk away from it, you come back and do it again. And then you go away and you come back and do it again and again and again forever because that's what we take, right? If you guys are anything like me, we as humans, we leak information, right? I can learn good things and I can be like, my life is totally different now. I'm ready to go. I'm changed. And then two weeks later, I'll be back in the same boat I was just in. Because we leak information. That's what our children do. So with our children, what we as parents have to do is say, I'm going to continually, repeatedly, lovingly teach my children how to love God. And then he says, uh, so this is the, the, the picture of, of how to do this. And he says, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Okay, so this is a really neat thing because this is talking about the method of how you teach your children to love God. Modern translation would be like, okay, so you're going to teach your children. You're going to hone them. You're going to teach them to love God when you go out to eat, when you're driving in your car, when you're watching that last episode of Netflix before you go to bed and when you drink your first coffee in the morning, that is when you're honing your children. See, it's, you don't have to have a classroom. You're not going to sit them down at a desk and give them a piece of paper and a pen and say, all right, take notes. This is how we love God. That is not how it works. You're teaching your children to love God as you're doing life. As you are going about your everyday, it's saying that you need to be intentional so that you know where, wherever I'm at, this is a moment I can teach my children. God gave me an opportunity to see this in action just yesterday, okay? This is, is exciting because I've been studying this, I've been seeing this, and I was like, oh, I've got to be more intentional. I'm not very good at this. I need to think about this more. And so I was at, uh, we, went, we went out, we were uh, fine dining. There's a nice little restaurant in Cleveland called CC's Pizza. Um, very fine establishment. It's almost edible food. Um, so we're sitting there, and, and we go through, and so we, we, we buy our, our buffets of pizza because we love to eat, and uh, <laughs> so we get all this stuff, but the, we get waters, right? Because we're like, hey, you know, it, it's good for you, save some money, it's good, and all this stuff. So we get our water cups, we go back, we sit down, and, and Sully is very upset because he, he thinks he wants some juice, right? I think there's lemonade. He's like, no, I want, I want lemonade. He starts crying because he, he was trying to convince Ashley, my wife, his mother, he wanted to convince her that, that he should get it anyways, and he know that we bought, we didn't pay for it, but he wanted to get 
get it anyways. I got to have an incredible moment, not to get mad, not to yell, not to scream, not to tell them, take notes and sit down in the classroom, but to just sit with them and say, Sully, we didn't pay for a drink. All we did, we got waters. And so if we go up there and we fill your cup up with lemonade instead of water, that's stealing. And that's something God doesn't want us to do. That is honing and being intentional with time. I hope you don't hear me bragging. I don't do that a lot. (laughs) I have missed the boat on far more occasions than I've jumped on it. But I'm telling you, that's what God's calling us to do. He's saying, as you go about your normal day, be intentional with your children. For those of you in here, we're gonna, I'm going to try to, to say this more in this gathering because I, uh, this is something my, my, my wife's really good at helping me think of things I forget. So the other thing is that that's not just for parents. Now, parents are the primary disciples of their children, right? But you, as anybody in here who is a Jesus follower, can say, I'm going to be intentional with my time with others, especially if there's others who I know their parents aren't Jesus followers. I can be intentional with them so that when I'm out to eat with that kid, I can have the same kind of moment. Right? We can be intentional with our time here, and that is how we teach our children. It says in the, the, the next verse, verse 8, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. All right, so again, I like looking at, uh, at translations here. A modern translation would be, this is putting a reminder on your phone to study your Bible. So that at 9 o'clock or at every night or at 7 o'clock every morning or whenever, it's, you get a, a, an alert on your phone that says, hey, don't forget to study God's Word. It's important. It's putting like 50 reminders on your phone. Hey, you know what? You could pray right now. It could work. Give yourself reminders. Put it around you so that you can see this. You see, the, the first couple of verses that we were looking at tell us to be intentional with our time especially as we're teaching our children, this one is telling us to create for ourselves reminders and opportunities to teach, right? So this would be things like, yeah, reminders on your phone. This is being intentional with your social media. So you say, hey, this is an outlet I have to to speak to people that, that I don't get to see all the time. I can be intentional with what I put on there. This is saying, hey, I'm gonna literally surround myself with scripture. It talks here about putting it on your doorpost and on your gate. This could be things like writing scripture and putting it in your car, having it sitting right there in front of you so that you can, ha- you can be reminded of that, right? So that you can be more honoring to God in the way you live. And one of the things we talked about in the first service, that, and uh, I got to talk about some, I struggle with road rage. I don't know if anybody else does. I can get kind of mad. Man, I, I, there, there are more filthy words that come to my mind on my, in my car than anywhere else, right? That's one of those things. I can, that's just, uh, it's like, oh man, I get so mad. But you know what? If I am surrounded by scripture in my car, that can be a reminder to me that I am to devote myself to loving God, not to making myself feel better by yelling at somebody else, right? So it's surround yourself with this and take every opportunity to be intentional, especially because when I'm driving, most of the time I have my kids in my car with me. And what are they seeing in me? Are they seeing a father who loves God or are they seeing a selfish, angry man? That's being intentional. So I need to surround myself with reminders because I leak information and I don't always remember to be godly. And so I need reminders in my life to help me be that way. So this is the Old Testament telling us, look, this is important. Yes, pursue godliness yourself, pursue love of God yourself, but you also have to take responsibility for teaching your children how to love God. So we're going to turn, I'm going to make sure I I, I get to this because this part's um, really fun too. In Ephesians chapter 6, if you'll turn there with me. Ephesians 6, I'm going to read the first four verses. This is the New Testament telling us almost exactly the same thing. And so we're going to to go through it um, 
Real quickly, I'm going to read the first four verses of Ephesians, and then we're going to go skip ahead a little bit. <coughs> Excuse me. It says in verse 1, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this is the New Testament telling us to do the exact same thing that the Old Testament just did. Parents, teach your children. Again, I think that the picture is clear here. This is not the, the scream and yell at them when they're not living a life that loves God. This is not sit them down and give them a pen and paper, tell them, take notes, this is how you do this. In love, and this is specifically really calling out fathers here, in love, teach your children. Now, this is interesting because the context here gives us a little, uh, another picture. While in the Old Testament, it's really focused, the context is on, on how to love God with everything you are, right? So it's being an example to your children and teaching them how to love God with all your heart, soul, and might. Here, the context is a little bit different, okay? This is uh, the, the context here. The two words that are used are, are discipline and instruction. Those are two Greek words that are used most often in military terms in that day, right? So there's this discipline and instruction. is how to be a good soldier. Is uh, you're, you're teaching people how to do this. You don't go into the military, any branch of the military, and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're a good soldier. It takes a long time, right? It takes a lot of training. It takes a lot of work. And so these, these are terms that are used this way. And the reason this is here is because we are raising our families in a time of war. For millennia, there has been an, uh, an enemy of ours that has wanted to destroy everything good that God has made in our lives, right? Satan's out to destroy anything good that there is. And so we are at war. We are going to be raised in a time of, 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 of battle, right? As you guys were growing up, you had the same experiences of going into life and being uh, tempted with all kinds of stuff. You had all kinds of things thrown at you that you weren't ready for, that was, uh, that was hard. You failed. You were wounded, and we are raising children that are going to go through the exact same thing. And the sad thing is, is that many of us are sending our children to battle totally unprepared. They don't know how to fight. So while Deuteronomy says that we're to teach our children how to love God, Ephesians is really teaching us that we need to teach our children how to fight. It says in verse 10, we're going to skip ahead a little bit. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. All right, a, a funny story about my oldest one, Jude. Uh, not too long ago, we were trying to convince him. A lot of my stories about food. I, I like to eat a lot. Um, and uh, so we're trying to get him to eat some healthy food, right? Some good stuff. We're like, hey, you need to eat this. And, and I think it was, you know, one of those, maybe one of the things he doesn't like to eat. And we're talking about it. And I said, you know, if you eat this, you get, you, know, you, you grow, you get to be big and strong. This is good for you. <laughs> he looked up, he said, daddy, so if I eat this, will I be big and strong like you? And I was so disappointed because I hoped he'd have higher aspirations. I mean, you know, you look at this body. This isn't looking, you know, this, I'm not much to, to shoot for. <laughs> this isn't anything great whatsoever. I was like, man, you know, there, there, there's some great, like, people you could be shooting for. You could, you know, you could go for somebody that has uh, a little bit bigger and stronger and all that stuff. But, you know, that's the thing, though. I don't have to worry about my own strength when it comes to this fight because I am weak. I fail. I am, I am unable to, to withstand so many things in the battle outside but I don't have to rely on my own strength. I get to be strong 
in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Our strength doesn't come from within. No matter how much culture tells us you need to be self-sufficient and strong and able, make sure everybody knows how good you are. The Bible teaches us, and we all know this inside of ourselves, that we are weak on our own, but we have an infinite source of strength that we can rely on. To fight well, I have to know this, and I have to teach this to my children. I have to show them and display for them a constant dependence on God's strength. Showing them constantly and pointing every single day, look, God is so strong, and he is giving me strength to help me walk through this stuff and fight this fight. It is not because I'm good, but because God is great that I can do this. And he says, put on the whole armor of God. You see, God has provided us equipment to protect us inside of this fight. But far too few of us remember to actually put it on, right? We walk out the door every day and we go totally ill-equipped and unprepared for the fight that's going to come. Satan's attacking and we're going out there in shorts and a t-shirt without a shield or a sword or anything saying, I'll be fine. And we get destroyed. And you know what? If we're forgetting to go and equip ourselves with right living, with truth, with salvation, with faith, if we're forgetting to, to go out and rely on the strength of God ourselves, we certainly aren't teaching our children to, right? We certainly aren't teaching our children, hey, you are going to struggle, but God is so strong, you can rely on him. You are, 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 are very easily wounded, but God's got armor for us to wear that will protect us from everything that Satan might throw at us. You see, and then it talks about the, the very end of that verse it, uh, in, in verse 12, uh, or excuse me, verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You know what the greatest scheme of the devil is? Is convincing an enemy with access to infinite power to ignore it. We have access to a God with limitless strength, and Satan says, now I bet you can do it on your own. I bet you can make it. You're fine. You don't need to study. You don't need to pray. You don't need to, to do any of that stuff. You're okay today. Everything's all right. And we go to the field of battle without the greatest source of power we have. He also convinces soldiers not even to fight, to go out there, and he says, hey, you've lost already. You've already been wounded so many times. You've already failed so many times. Don't even worry about it anymore. Quit fighting. Sometimes he even convinces us instead of fighting him to just fight each other. So we spend our time focusing on wounding each other instead of lifting each other up as a joint force against evil in this world. It says in the, the next verse, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Our fight is day in and day out against an enemy who desires us to fail at everything we were created to do. Satan desires the destruction of everything good God has made. Your destruction, he desires that. The, the destruction of your family and the destruction of your children. So we have to fight. We have to fight evil in this world. And the thing is, is that 
most of us, especially if you're anything like me, you wish you could just fight for your kids, right? Say, man, I'll take anything that Satan can dish out if I can protect my child. I'll take it. I'll stand for him. But we don't get to do that. Because just like you did, your parents couldn't stop you from having the battles you had to have. You had to go through fights, and your children are going to go through those as well. They're going to go through battle with evil and temptation. So the best thing we can do is not to, to try to shelter them and pretend like there's not a fight and say, we'll fight for them. The best thing we can possibly do is train them to fight the evil that's in this world. We're going to wrap up with this last part in verse, uh, there's a few verses we're going to read that talks about this armor. It says in verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So Paul is the one who wrote Ephesians and he writes this during the time when Israel is occupied by Rome. So he's picturing a Roman soldier and they have pretty cool armor, right? And so if you've ever seen it, it looks awesome. So he's picturing this Roman soldier with all his armor on and he's describing this. And I think the order is important. And the very first thing he says is you got to put on a belt of truth. The reason he says to put that on is because we must commit to authenticity because Satan fights best in the dark. When you're in the dark, when you're hiding in deceit and hidden things in your life, you are going to lose that fight. God's calling us to put on truth. That's putting on the light, saying, I'm going to step out and expose all the darkness in my life because that's where God's called me to live. I've got to be authentic. We have to live in the light, not just for ourselves, because that's the right thing for us to do, and that's how God's called us to live, but also for our children. We have to train them to love the light and hate the darkness. Nobody has to train a child how to do wrong things, do you? Anybody ever sat down and said, all right, now, son, I love you. Now I'm going to teach you how to lie. I want you to tell me the truth, but you can tell me something else instead. No, you don't train them to do that. Do you have to train a child to be selfish? No, not at all. As soon as they learn that word, no or mine, selfish, done, it's there. They get that naturally. We have to train them to be on the other side. We have to train them and teach them that living in the light is always better than the darkness. So we have to put on truth ourselves because the first thing is, is that if I'm trying to convince my child that living in honesty is the right thing, but I'm living in deceit, they're going to follow my actions and not my words. I've got to live this uh, truthfulness, this authenticity for them. The next thing he says to put on is to put on a breastplate of righteousness. Now, here's the thing. We're, we're not always going to do the right thing. No matter how much you're going to try, there's going to be times that you fail. There's going to be things that you mess up in. And what's great about that is that's why we put on truth first. Because I will fail sometimes at being right, at doing the right thing, at godly living. And so I have to realize that even when I fail, I have to live in the light and I have to be open about it. I have to be authentic in my relationships. But we do have to armor ourselves with right living. Because Satan has decimated battlefields with shame, with guilt, saying, hey, you can't fight. Look at what you've done. Look what's been there. Look at this thing that happened a couple weeks ago. You don't, need, you don't deserve to be out here because we haven't put on right living. He's decimated with cover-ups and scandals. We have to fight this. And we have to model a devotion to right living for our children. Again, uh, you know, the, the, the phrase that's fun around every household is saying, do what I say, not what I do, right? You tell your kids, let me teach you to do the right thing. I'm going to tell you the right things to do, but you're not going to see me doing it. That doesn't work. 
because we follow examples. So God's saying whenever we're teaching our children to fight, we have to be living it for them first. So we have to put this righteousness on. Then he says, put on the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace. So those two words seem exclusive to me because you you think of ready to fight. That's what it's talking about, the readiness for battle and then peace. And it seems mutually exclusive to me me because it seems like if you're ready to fight, you're you're geared up, ready to stretch it out and all that stuff. I've I've never been in a fight, so I don't know what it looks like. Um, You know, I'm I'm not a fighter. Uh, (laughs) I always avoided those kinds of things. Um, But, you know, I, I just think about what it should look like, or at least the movies I've seen, and they're not usually at peace, Right. You're geared up, you're ready, you're excited, all this stuff. You're, you're, you're mad or you're whatever, ready for a fight. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 you're going to have readiness for battle and peace at the same time. The way we get to have that is by understanding the gospel. Because this, what the gospel does is we're fighting in a war that's already been won. Satan can't destroy a Jesus follower because they are covered by the invulnerable blood of Jesus Christ. That can't be taken away. It can't be damaged. can't be ruined. So no matter what wounds I get on the battlefield, nothing can stop that. Jesus has already conquered sin and conquered death. What we're doing now is fighting in a battle so that we can show others who Christ is, and that is what we're here to do. Being ready to fight means this for us, though, is when we see evil in the world, we have to be ready to go and defeat it. As we see evil in the world, we've got to be ready to fight against it because if we won't, who will? If not those changed by Jesus Christ, then who is going to combat evil in a very broken world? We've got to be ready to stand up for what is right. And our children have to see us do it. Because our children are going to follow our examples. And if they see us passively sitting by while evil happens, they will do the same thing. Your children need to see you standing up for what's right. And again, I'm going I'm to make this point again. If you don't have kids, you still have this chance. You can still be a surrogate parent for other people, right? You can go and be that for somebody else that you know needs to have another example. I had to have other examples in my life where I had some, some godly men step in and show me some examples of what that looked like to be a Christ follower. You can commit to saying, I need to be an example for those that are in my sphere of influence because I can be an example of how to follow Christ. Let's read uh, uh, the last couple verses. It says in verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So this shield that we're to take up The word says that it can extinguish all the flaming darts that Satan throws. Now, these darts aren't like the game we're thinking of. These were like big missile kind of spear-looking things that you would throw. These These were implements to kill. And so here's how this works, taking up a shield of faith. If God says that authenticity is good, even when it's hard, I'm going to believe him. And so when Satan comes and throws at me this temptation to live in the darkness and in deceit, I'm going to say, no, I believe God. And that extinguishes this deception. It says, no, no, God is true. What he says is true. I believe it. I'm not going to live in darkness because God says the light is good. 
If God says that sex belongs in marriage and is good there, but it's bad outside of it, I'll believe him. So when Satan throws temptation to look at other, uh, other people that aren't my spouse, extinguish on my shield. Because what God says is true, and I can believe it. So what Satan is trying to offer me, I know is a lie. I know is not right. And I'm going to stand behind my faith that what God says is true. The next thing he says, or the next piece that he, that he brings up for us is the helmet of salvation. The most difficult part of parenting, what I've found so far in my life as a father, is that I don't get to save my children. I don't have the ability to save them. I wish I could. I wish I could save my children from their sins because I love them. But I can't. Only Jesus Christ can do that. But what I can do is I can model for them what it looks like to follow after God, and I can show them that there is nothing better to do with your life than what God has called us to do. I can show them what the Holy Spirit does inside of my life. I can show them what it means to be a Jesus follower. I can teach them my story. I'm ashamed because of the fact that I realize how, how few people in my family know my story. Your children should know how you came to follow Jesus. Your parents should know how you came to follow Jesus. Your brothers and sisters should know your story of how you started following Jesus. And as you do that, you're giving them as many opportunities as humanly possible for them to respond to Jesus' offer for salvation. The last thing he says to take up is the sword of the Spirit. It reminds me of the New Testament. So there's a time right after Jesus started his ministry, he went off to the wilderness and he stayed there for, for uh, an extended period. And it says that Satan himself came to, do, uh, to, to basically do battle with Jesus. He came to tempt Jesus. Because what his assumption was, was if I can cause Jesus to fail, everything is lost. And that would be a true statement. So he tempted Jesus with all the things that anybody could want, with, with physical uh, desires, with, with desires for power, with all this stuff. You know how Jesus combated Satan? With God's word. It made me picture a sword fight like on TV. He's parrying all these attacks from Satan by using the true word of God, saying, no, that is false. This is true. We can know what's true we have to treasure God's word. We have to study it and meditate on it. And we have to teach it to our children. They have to see us studying the Bible. They have to see us loving God's word and relying on it. Because we have to stop fielding ill-equipped, unprepared soldiers to battle. You guys bow your heads with me, close your eyes. That's not to do something magical. The Holy Spirit doesn't show up because we close our eyes. This is to help you be introspective, to help you stop focusing on others and looking at other things, stop, to make sure this is just about you and your relationship with Jesus. The first thing I wanna say is if you are not following Jesus, if you're not somebody who is, who's decided to, to follow that path, I wanna beg you to just consider what that would look like for you. You fought the same fight because Satan doesn't care if you follow Jesus or not. He still wants to destroy everything you have. If you want armor and strength to fight, you need Jesus Christ.
Some of you, maybe there's things that are brought up inside of this talk that you would like to talk about or you need somebody to pray with you about. I wanna invite you to stand up at the end of this and go uh, to my right. There's an exit over here and somebody could take you up to the refuge room and they would love to pray with you or talk to you or counsel with you about what is going on inside of your life right now. In conclusion, here's the thing that I want you guys to kind of just be thinking about. We've been called, first of all, in the Old Testament to love God with all our heart and soul and might, to love him with everything that we are and to be intentional with our time with others. In the New Testament, we've been called to fight evil with every resource that God has given us. But inside of the family capacity, what I'm really passionate about is we've been called to train our children to do the same, train our children to love God and to fight evil. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you that you have given us the ability, the knowledge of how to love you and how to fight evil. Help us, Lord, to commit ourselves to that. Lord, help us as parents to train our children to love you and to fight evil. Let us be intentional with our time with them. Let us seek as many ways and opportunities and methods that we possibly can to hone them, to know you, to love you, and to follow you. Lord, for those in here who have the, the, the ability to do this for other people that aren't their children, God, give them the conviction to do it, to care enough to be somebody who would step in the gap for somebody else. Lord, let us at Public Church strengthen families because you made them and you love them and they are created to honor you. In your name I pray.